and ears of knowledge are those who, at the cost of being derided as credulous and superstitious, want to push on into those misty and probably perilous places. I felt that I could be more used by setting out without compass or knapsack into the mists than by sitting in a cage like a canary and chirping about what was known. Besides, teaching is very bad for a man who knows himself only to be a learner. You only need to be a self-conceited ass to teach. Here then, in Francis Ercombe, who is a delightful neighbour to one who, like myself, has an uneasy and burning curiosity about what he called the misty and perilous places. And this last spring we had a further and most welcome addition to our pleasant little community in the person of Mrs. Amworth, widow of an Indian civil servant. Her husband had been a judge in the northwest provinces, and after his death at Peshawar, she came back to England, and after a year in London found herself starving for the ampler air and sunshine of the country to take place of the fogs and griminess of town. She had, too, a special reason for settling in Maxley, since her ancestors up till a hundred years ago had long been native to the place, and in the old churchyard, now disused, and many gravestones bearing her maiden name of Chaston. Big and energetic, her vigorous and genial personality speedily woke Maxley up to a higher degree of sociality than it had ever known. Most of us were bachelors or spinsters or elderly folk, not much inclined to exert ourselves in the expense and effort of hospitality, and hitherto the gaiety of a small tea party with bridge afterwards and goloshes when it was wet to trip home in again for a solitary dinner was about the climax of our festivities. But Mrs. Amworth showed us a more gregarious way and set an example of luncheon parties and little dinners, which we began to follow. On other nights, when no such hospitality was on foot, a lone man like myself found it pleasant to know that a call on the telephone to Mrs. Amworth's house, not a hundred yards off, and an inquiry as to whether I might come over after dinner for a game of piquet before bedtime would probably evoke a response of welcome. There she would be, with a comrade-like eagerness for companionship, and there was a glass of port and cup of coffee and a cigarette and game of piquet. She played the piano, too, in a free and exuberant manner, and had a charming voice and sang to her own accompaniment. And as the days grew long and the light lingered late, we played our game in her garden, which in the course of a few months she had turned from being a nursery for slugs and snails into a glowing patch of luxuriant blossoming. She was always cheery and jolly. She was interested in everything. And in music, in gardening, in games of all sorts, was a competent performer. Everybody, with one exception, liked her. Everybody felt her to bring with her the tonic of a sunny day. That one exception was Francis Urcombe. He, though he confessed he did not like her, acknowledged that he was vastly interested in her. This always seems strange to me, for pleasant and jovial as she was, I could see nothing in her that could call forth conjecture or intrigued surmise. So healthy and unmysterious a figure did she present. But of the genuineness of Urcombe's interest there could be no doubt. One could see him watching and scrutinising her. In matter of age, she frankly volunteered the information that she was forty-five, 
but her briskness, her activity, her unravaged skin, her coal black hair, made it difficult to believe that she was not adopting an unusual device and adding ten years onto her age instead of subtracting them. Often also, as our quiet, unsentimental friendship ripened, Mrs. Amworth would ring me up and propose her advent. If I was busy writing, I was to give her, so we definitely bargained, a frank negative, and in answer I could hear her jolly laugh and her wishes for a successful evening of work. Sometimes before her proposal arrived, Erkham would already have stepped across from his house opposite for a smoke and a chat, and he, hearing who my intending visitor was, always urged me to beg her to come. She and I should play our piquet, said he, and he would lock on, if we did not object, and learn something of the game. But I doubt whether he played much.